In an election that will determine the fate of the entire universe, there's only one podcast holding politicians accountable. Scott Morrison, Anthony Albanese. Who will lose? Find out on The Chaser Report, Election Edition. Hello and welcome to the election edition of The Chaser Report. It is Monday the 16th of May, just five days to go. Until the election, I'm Dom Knight. And Charles Firth, the end is in sight. The end is in sight. We can do this. Oh, it's it's exciting. I cannot wait. Do we have to do a wrap-up episode, by the way? I, th- I think we probably should, I think we, we probably should. Okay. Yeah. So, look, there's also policy on the table, Charles. Like, actual solutions yes. designed to try and fix major problems. And yes. probably the biggest problem for most of us mm. is not being able to afford a house. Yes. Or, in your case, not being able to afford a second house. That's right. The government's come out with a very interesting policy, Mm. which is to allow people access to more money, access to all their super, in order to be able to drive up the prices of houses even more so so they can afford a house. I think it's 40% of your super you're allowed to get Mm. out and put directly into the pocket of a baby boom mode. Isn't that the yeah, I know. way the policy it's, works? It's very sensible for us house owners because you're not actually increasing the supply of houses at mm. all. You're just literally creating more money to go into the same number of houses. Yeah. And so the only possible thing that can happen is it will drive up house prices. It was really encouraging to see a member of the government admitting mm. that the policy would have an inflationary effect. I oh, really? I was that quite surprised to hear that. The other thing is it's been pitched as something that will allow 20-somethings to get into the housing market. Now, I don't know if you know any 20-somethings, Tom, but I can assure you all the 20-somethings I know who work for us, their super sucks. Yeah, they so 40% of yeah, nothing is nothing, yeah, right? Yeah, they get, they get to invest, you know, 40% of their $3,000 that they've got saved up in super. I mean, Charles, to be fair to Scott Morrison in this brilliant plan, mm. it wasn't anyone significant who admitted that there was a fault. It was only the Minister for Superannuation, <laughs> Jane Hume, who said, yes, look, um, it will increase house prices temporarily, just, just for wait, a while. Wait a minute, but isn't there a whole point that... Because you've got to pay it back into your super when you sell you the do. house, right? Yes, yes, yes. But isn't the point that, well, everyone's house prices will go up, mm. so it, they'll easily be able to afford paying it back. Yeah, but, but then... But, 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 but if it's te- only ex- temporary, doesn't that mean that... The yeah, because there's going to be a recession. <laughs> isn't that what... It, so, <laughs> I, I that mean, mean, so that means people take all their money out of their super... Mm. Put it on the house. Yep. The house price goes down. Yeah, they no so longer have any the money. super yeah. or a house. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, it's called personal responsibility, Charles. Now, see, I I much prefer Labor's plan. I got to say, look, mm. I'm going to take a side on this. Oh yeah, uh, Labor's plan for the government to own part of your house is absolutely brilliant, as long as you happen to be one of the ten thousand people who gets it. Does anyone explain? <laughs> How, of the millions of people who would like to help have help buying a house, mm. why is it 10,000? Is it like Lotto? Well, no, no. It's about the same odds. Their argument is that it's a pilot scheme. Oh, so they don't necessarily have to do it. So it's just a, a yes. thing that they might do that they're not no, bound to. Right, no, no, okay. it's, no, it's the, the, there's only going to be 10,000. No, because it's a stupid policy, right? <laughs> it's a stupid policy. So how? But they can then, but then that means that they only have to budget for 10,000. Oh, and then they can back away from it. And then it. they can back away from it and say, right. oh, the, we tried out the pilot. We tried the pilot. It was stupid. So how do you get to be in the 10,000? Is there some sort of. Game of Thrones deathmatch situation to get public funding for your house? Well, I imagine if it involves millennials and Gen Z, it will be. It'll be broadcast on TV for the entertainment of boomers. That actually sounds quite good. I mean, we did hear from Adam Bant yesterday on the podcast that the Greens want a million social homes. Well, it does seem to sort of address... Because the fundamental problem with housing is that there isn't enough houses, right? Yeah, I mean, you could. So That's the true. Idea you can, if there's a scarcity of something, Charles, yeah. I'm not an economist, yeah. but can't you do something about supply? Well, Wouldn't I am that- a, an economist, and the answer is what you do is you, you know, say there's not enough houses. The best solution is to build more houses. So why, why is 90% of the Australian political parties mm. going... We won't do that. We're just going to put up the price of houses. And only the idiots at the Greens who know nothing about economics, they, they're the only ones who've actually stumbled upon 
upon the economic So they've, they've fixed that supply problem. There's mm. only just one other supply problem yeah. that they have, which is there's not enough not supply of green voters right. or green seats. Yes, so, right. But for that, it's a brilliant yeah. scheme. Well done. That's it. It's the purity. The, the, the purity of vision that comes from the purity of not having any power. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what will happen, no matter which party wins, mm. is that housing prices will continue to go up Continue to go up and wages will continue to stay stagnant and no one will be able to afford a house, yeah? Well, hopefully, yeah. That's, that's the plan. Fantastic. On today's show, John Domenico has been watching Sky News and actually found a way to bring us all together. I'm excited about this. Oh, that's very good. And we've got very special, extra special, special guest, Grace Tame, former Australian of the Year, uh, on to talk about, well, everything. Really. Everything, really, that's going on. Look, it's a wide-ranging conversation and we should note that there are some... Uh, upsetting aspects of the conversation. She mentioned some of the things that happened to her in her life. And mm. it's really important to hear what she has to say, but just if that's triggering for you, bear that in mind. Before that, though, something I personally find very offensive, which is Charles's daily news wrap. This is the election wrap for Monday, the 16th of May. The Liberal Party held its campaign launch yesterday and there was only one topic leading the 6pm bulletins. Australian cricket is once again in mourning following the sudden death of Andrew Simons in a car accident. Scott Morrison held his budget on the same day Shane Warne died and now his campaign launch on the same day Andrew Simons died. The Australian cricketing community is begging Morrison to stop holding major events. The Liberal Party has launched a new policy which will allow people to buy houses using their super. The policy, which will give people more money to buy houses without changing the number of houses available to buy, is perfectly designed to drive prices higher, thus solving the problem of house prices not being high enough. And finally, over the weekend, Scott Morrison has vowed to change should he be re-elected on Saturday. I know there are things that are going to have to change with the way I do things. The Prime Minister said that all their polling had indicated that voters want change and the best way to achieve change is to stick with the same person as before. That's the wrap for Monday the 16th of May. Five days to go. Not long now. Back in a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Chaser Report. So last year, we were very, very honoured to have the Australian of the Year, Grace Tame, on our podcast. Surprisingly, Charles, she's agreed to come back and talk to us during the campaign. Yes, uh, no idea why. <laughs> she's had an awful lot during the campaign and just about all of it's made headlines. So mm. uh, let's get some more headlines happening with Grace Tame. Welcome to the podcast, Grace. Oh, look, it's always a pleasure chatting to you, Legends. Thank you for having me. So Scott Morrison described himself as a bulldozer this morning. I think Australians know I'm a bit of a bulldozer. Does that tally with your experience at all, Grace? A bulldozer. A bulldozer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Whatever at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but how have you found this campaign? I mean, you were such a big part of the national conversation when you were Australian of the Year. You're not obliged to, to do this anymore, but you still, every, every move gets reported and people want to know what you think, Grace. I don't know. That's up to the people to decide, I suppose. You know, I often say, uh, you know, before I say anything, you know, I often preface uh, my words with you know you, no one no one is obliged to um, to listen to, to what I have to say. That's really the whole point. I'm just here to present different different ideas and 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 mainly ask or invite people. You know, not not certainly not demand or force. Invite people to interrogate the sources from which they're getting their information. You know, the lens mm. that they are looking at at a lot of um, the information that's being presented to them through. Because, you know, when we look at the landscape of our national media at the moment, you know, not all media, of course, you know, people like you guys, um, you know, thankfully there's, there's, a, there's a small portion at least that, that's retaining some independence. But when we look at the, the, the grand landscape of our national media, we've got, you know, 59% of the readership share of, of, of print media, you know, metropolitan and nationally is Murdoch. And then you've got next after that 23% is, is nine mm. um, and, and 
Peter Costello, who was a former Liberal treasurer um, in Howard's uh, time, is is you know it's twenty three percent. Like it's it's right leaning, and and we're trying to say that there's bias. It's just not mm. it's not true. That's eighty two percent right there. Mm. Well, actually, we calculate. I added it all up because if you include seven and ten, it, it, the ninety seven percent of the commercial news media is this right-leaning sort of thing. It's extraordinary. Like the the Guardian, if you include the Guardian and the Saturday paper as not right-leaning, they make up essentially 3% of the commercial news media, not including the ABC, of course. Yeah. Which um, is neutral. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting watching it all play out because I guess I'm inspired by seeing how you use your voice still to this day because a couple of days ago you had some thoughts on Anthony Albanese going on the Alan Jones show mm. uh, which I think has fewer viewers than, than this conversation now <laughs> uh, has listeners you were disappointed by that weren't you of course I was disappointed by that I mean Alan Jones even said in his own book he talked about um, the, the letters that he wrote to his underage students which constitutes grooming mm. um and, you know, Anthony Albanese is a, a powerful man um, and he has choices, uh, you know, of who he aligns himself with. And it was interesting because a lot of the people who were sort of and trying to sort of reason with me um, and, and I understand that they're well-intentioned, were a part of a demographic who haven't been the victims of child sexual abuse, who haven't experienced what it's like to be victimised by, by a person who has a lot of power and knowledge over you. Um, and they're saying, oh, it's just, you know, it's unity. It's about uh, forgiveness and all those sorts of things. And I was like, I understand the concept of forgiveness is, is actually in many ways part of the mechanism that drives and perpetuates abuse. It's something that shields perpetrators because they just actually weaponize those sorts of institutions that are actually just man-made constructs to, to hide beneath. And people like Alan Jones, they don't need powerful white man to legitimise him. They don't need to be platformed. They don't need to be given the seal of approval. You know, they don't need handshakes. They don't need photographs on Twitter to, to boost their cause at all. And it has a, a really disempowering effect on survivors who see that. Like, what, what does it take for our message to be heard for these people? People to actually incur some kind of consequence. It, it just we need circuit breaker moments in society for actually these cultures to to stop. I often find during election campaigns there's this notion that you can't possibly criticise the Labor Party because you can't publicly do that because what if you stuff it all up and suddenly everyone votes for the Libs because you said something critical about the Labor Party? Oh, so rubbish! Yes. I mean. Like I'm not again. This is the, this is the whole thing. People going, oh, you know, you're a labour hack. No, I'm actually like it's not about party politics, and it's very clear. You know, we're not even talking about two people who are even remotely similar. If we're looking at Anthony and Scott, mm. we're talking about one person who's a decent human being, and we're talking about an egocentric ideologue who is just totally in it for himself. Who's not? We're not even talking about a good or like like a bad politician. We're, we're talking about somebody who has deliberately abandoned the the people mm. or his own gain, and is prepared to sacrifice any group for the sake of politics. I mean, the, I made a list this morning on Twitter and, like, I'd have to pull out my phone, but the list is huge throughout his tenure as Prime Minister for the sake of politics. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Does he not forget that, like, people, like, real people have memories and they, like, on paper, like, for his <laughs> campaigning purposes, <laughs> it might be tactical and work strategically in the moment, but, like, we have real lives and, you know, jobs and families and our families remember too. Mm. Well, his, <laughs> his colleagues remember. This has been one of the strange things about the campaign. So many of his colleagues have, have had mm. critical things to say. And, again, it's not about not about party politics you know i could care less mm. i i actually have you know friends who are in the liberal party and you know it's like you know the new south wales um treasurer came out mm. and rightly so he said there's no place for bigotry in 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 
in the in the modern liberal party today and he's right and mm. i support that you know it's again it's not it's not about being liberal it's not about any of that it's about um human decency and authenticity and all those other values and the principle of truth too you know if we want to look at that number one i mean this is a man who just there, there are all these videos too and and you know and photographs and quotes that you can you know put side by side where he says one thing and then he says another you know and it could be like mm on the same day too and you're just like that is just that is textbook narcissism but, but isn't you know? that why scott morrison wants you to listen to Catherine deves and focus on sort of transgender scare campaign that they've tried to sort of ignite in this election because you know part of this campaign is the great forgetting project like he can't run on, well, you remember what I've done for the last three years. He has to have something shiny and new for everyone to look at and go, hey, look over here, be scared of these people, be scared of these people. It is incredibly desperate. It's a distraction It's a distraction technique, first mm. of all, because he's got really nothing else. Um, you know, he doesn't want to talk, he doesn't want to really talk about climate change because he's, there's nothing there, there's a plan. And, you know, there's, again, there's really, really nothing, nothing much else to go on. And, you know, as Ronnie Salt... I don't know if you're familiar with with her Twitter. Um, she's been pointing out for a while. It's not just about Warringah, and like you said, it's about appealing to the nation and and dog whistling to certain mm. ideologies that go beyond her electorate. It has a much grander design, and it's being, it is, it's being, it's it's his priority now. That's running directly out of his office. Again, as Ronnie Salt has been pointing out for quite a while, and the media um, are a part of this mechanism. And as you said, it's, I mean, pretty much 97% and they're all complicit in it mm. and using this dubious language that's softening it. They're saying that she's just controversial. No, she's not. She's a flat out liar. She's a lawyer. She knows, you know, that mu- mutilation is not something that can happen to transgender children because mm. children cannot get the operation mm. to have gender affirming surgery because it's something you can only get when you're 18. She knows all of these things. Mm. And yet, again, the media are all complicit in softening this narrative again. Mm. And for the average reader who does not use their critical thinking, who just sees, and again, this is not the fault of the average reader. It is just, you know, it's not fair to expect people to just walk past, you know, the the the, the um, shop front and see, um, you know, the front page, you know, and, and go, oh, well, I must examine this. They just see the headlines that go, oh, poor Catherine, you know, she's in tears. She just wants to defend her right to say what she wants. We, the, the average person sympathizes with that with that and the imagery that they use it's all very clever like it's so insidious this subliminal messaging and it is all emanating from his office it rots from the top it is so masterful and i I guess it's based around uh, a perception a strategy of the kind of things that would make people re-elect the government, right, if this is all part of a big master plan. He is a marketing man. He was before he was Prime Minister and that is what he is holding on to. Given your experience of travelling around the country, talking to a lot of people and being a a very prominent advocate, do you believe he's right that that argument is going to help him or have you seen a different side of Australia in your interaction with ordinary Australians? I am yet to encounter anybody who isn't incensed by this because... You know, it is really just the lowest of the low. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a politician, and I never, I, I never want, I never want to step into an environment where I become so entrapped in a hive mind, wherein I become in any way detached from reality, because it's so important to be able to admit fault and I think that that's the downfall with people who believe that they are entitled to take advantage of and persecute people they perceive to be beneath them that is where they go wrong you see they don't actually think about they don't they can't see anything from anybody else's point of view no empathy Mm. no empathy because they're inauthenticity is their is their downfall that's so sort of entrapped in their own ideology that then unable to accept responsibility and accountability ding 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 um <coughs> cough 
<laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. But, I don't, um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but do you think part of it is that actually this will knock off a whole lot of Scott Morrison's competitors in the Liberal Party? If you take a macro you know, thing like this, this is going to destroy a whole lot of wet libs' chances at the election. And, yeah, it sort of it seems absurd to us that he would play a game where it's like, I'll get rid of, but but actually, you sort of go if his long term plan is to sort of have type of party where it hates on and tells lies about transgender people and and whips up culture war campaigns out of nothing, then he's going about it the right way because it's going to lead to a whole lot of seats lost of people who. You know, who believe in telling the truth and being fair within his party? Who will be able to challenge him after this election? Even if he's not in a pr- prime minister, he'll he'll be the head of a Liberal Party that it looks far more like Catherine Deves than before the election. It's an incredibly selfish oh. uh, thing to do, and if that's what he wants his legacy to be, then again, then that's an unmasking moment. Although, I, I mean, he asked in, in my in my opinion, he unmasked himself to be that a long time ago Mm. it's disturbing but true that there are people who believe that they are entitled to persecute Mm. people who they perceive to be beneath them i just wanted to ask about your campaign because when we spoke to you last time you were talking about trying to get um, the nation's laws on grooming and coercive control changed and in harmony with each other and this is the time to talk about policy this is the time when all good ideas to make australia better are welcomed and we've heard heaps from all kinds of people how is your campaign going uh, after more than a year of, of talking about these uh, this cause? Indeed. Well, it's it's funny because the media is a strange beast. Um, <laughs> it's going really well. So the, the Harmony campaign is sort of our longer-term umbrella campaign because you kind of can't bite off more than you can chew, as you know, um, creating change and especially legal reform is a, a marathon, not a sprint, and one can only run one step at a time. You can't run 4Ks at once Unless you are Inspector Gadget, and I am not. I certainly can't. <laughs> you know, I'm a Luddite and I can barely operate my own phone. Uh, <laughs> so the first of, of the um, individual campaigns is called Stop Gaslighting Survivors. And the purpose of that campaign is to remove the word relationship from the crime of persistent child sexual abuse. So in four jurisdictions out of the eight that govern the crime of persistent child sexual abuse of a child or young person under special care. Um, the words, the wording is, you know, slightly different from state to state, but essentially it means the same thing. It's still described as maintaining a sexual relationship with a young person. And that's not just wrong. It's also something that uh, perpetrators of child sexual abuse offences often weaponise um, to spin the narrative. It sounds actually, creepy. The word sounds creepy yeah, in that well, context, of course. Even actually on Sunday uh, during the leaders' debate on Nine, um, there was a commercial where they characterised a case of um, abuse of a minor where the child was groomed um, as a relationship. Um, It's something that's still, you know, it's a really complex thing because often we are talking about children who who are groomed to express what they what they think in their child mind is affection and love for adult abusers who know exactly what they're doing um, because they're often, you know, well-practiced offenders. Um, you know, it's talked about repeatedly in academia, in, in, in psychiatric medicine, um, this mechanism of shame um, that, that stays with boys and girls. You know, boys speak about the shame they feel from getting erections in, you know, when they were being abused by their abusers. Um, you know, girls talk about expressing, you know, love, saying I loved you or begging for sex from their um, abusers. That's certainly something that I, you know, I, I struggled with because um, I'd been abused previously, not only as a six-year-old, but I'd been abused by primary caregivers of mine who I spent a long time with. And it's something something that's not discussed about very often when we talk about the trauma responses of not only people but of animals in the animal kingdom is the the fawn response out of the the four so there's the flight fright and freeze which we hear about 
really often. But then there's the um, the fawn response, which is really common in children who've been neglected or, or abused by, by caregivers, which is characterized by the suppression of, of needs and identity um, and the sort of, you know, people pleasing, the, the want to um, impress the person who's supposed to be providing you with love, but is, you know, cold or mistreating you. And so you sort of, you know, like you do anything to, to get affection that you're not being provided with, you, you know, your needs are not being met. So you end up in some cases sort of parenting them or um, performing for them, um, you know, and, and, and I, because I was also autistic as well, I mimicked and, and masked a lot of my own identity anyway. It's really complicated, <laughs> obviously. There's a lot to take in there. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know any of the theory behind that. It's fascinating. But just in terms of the places to focus on, where do we need to change next? Yeah, um, well, hopefully by getting this word relationship out of this offence, that's another piece of, of narrative manipulation that we can take away from perpetrators because it's still something that I see all the time. I mean, I'm no stranger to to going online and seeing the hatred I get, um, you know, whether it be from strangers or bots or, 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 or whatever. We need to keep getting this message across, more so because people still don't understand that the power imbalance between victims of child sexual abuse is not one but that is just uh, distilled to an individual level, which is all the more reason we need to fight this. Um, there is a huge overlap between perpetrators and people who are in positions of power, but also we've got to remember that people uh, who perpetrate these crimes often o- operate in rings. Um, they don't work alone. One of the members uh, on the advisory board of our foundation is a brilliant academic by the name of Michael Salter. He's a professor at the University of New South Wales. Um, now, he wrote his thesis, his PhD thesis on escaping pedophile rings. He's been working in this sector for about 15 years. And he's a six foot tall man, really like you wouldn't want to mess with Michael um, on, on a number of uh, uh, um, fronts. You wouldn't want to argue with him because he's, you know, it's, He's sharp as a tack, um, but also physically, you know, just you wouldn't. <laughs> but just because he started doing research in this field and, you know, poking the bear, as the phrase goes, he came home one day and found, and he's written about this. So, you know, I, I know that I have permission to say this because I've asked him if I can share this information, you know, for the purposes of, of making this point that I'm about to make. You know, he came home one day and he found animal organs and blood in his bed because, you know, this subculture of humans, again, who feel entitled to abuse people who they think are beneath them, Mm. you know, vulnerable people, they, they will go to any lengths to attempt to silence those trying to expose them. Mm. And I have been on the end of this physical, like violent um, harassment myself. You know, yeah. when I first showed my face on 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 television, you know, I, I had my car crashed into by a white um, 2000 model Toyota Corolla. Um, and then t- like uh, two or three weeks later, I saw the same model of car 200 meters in the distance. And I thought that was quite oh, wow. odd. It's, it's hazards were on. And then I gave it a wide clearance. And then all of a sudden it was up. It was like 10 PM at night. It was right up my backside and I sped up to, you know, give it some room. I wasn't speeding or anything like that before that. And, and then it was chasing me. We were going oh. like 90 kilometers an hour. And then all of a sudden, like it had chased me all the way home and I was too shocked to get out of the car and a thug got out and bashed on the window and called me a fucking whore. Oh my God. You know, these are, these are, these guys don't mess around, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Election news you can't trust. The Chaser Report. Well, I'm able to understand this now, Grace, because five weeks ago I got my second daughter. So like Scott Morrison, I'm suddenly able to understand 
uh, <laughs> that these things are bad. But oh, yes. Yeah. You can understand, uh, like, you can understand women as mm. uh, objects relative to you. Well, yeah. I got my wife to explain it to me. Wife, yeah, yeah. Explain. But, yeah. In, all, but yeah. in all sincerity, um, and <laughs> how is this not the top priority? Stopping mm. this and stuff. And that's what's really frustrating. See, see, Charles, like, oh, you're not Charles. You're, jo- you're Dom. Charles <laughs> has sons. Charles has no idea. Yeah, I, I, I actually stuff. don't understand. I was going to say, I, I was about to call you Dom, and then I was like, why does, you, why do you, why does Charles have two? What, yeah, yeah. Why do you have a media monopoly? <laughs> we're, we're, white, we're white middle-aged guys. We're indistinguishable. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it. You are all the one, yeah. you know, you are the monolith <laughs> of white man. It's true. <laughs> Sadly you true. You are the manolith. <laughs> so, yeah, I was saying this yesterday. I spoke to the I spoke to the Batuta guys and I was saying how, um, you know, uh, Max and I worked our little um, butts off last year, you know, travelling around the country, um, you know, speaking about grooming and, you know, granted some of the talks that I did had a no media policy where, you know, they couldn't film. But even in the cases where I did film, the stories that did come out of there were always about like, oh, Grace's mental health and all that sort Mm. of thing like that, where I went to great lengths to explain grooming, the steps of grooming, the things that came out were, you know, Grace slams Scott Morrison, Grace's obsession with Scott Morrison. I reckon, you know, I did like 4,000 word, 5,000 word speeches. I did uh, over 100 speeches and the mainstream media's coverage of what I spoke about, and I did a lot of TV interviews as well, all the policy stuff that I did, the updates, I barely covered that, but they framed me as being this aggressor. Mm. You know, I reckon I, I spoke about Scott Morrison one, like 1% of the time relative to the advocacy that I did last year. Yeah, it's always And I know way. this. I know this because it, bro- it broke me because I had to, put myself back into a space that, you know, like physically, like it has a chemical effect on you to go into that trauma, you know, to not only talk about child sexual abuse, but to talk about, you know, the domestic violence that I've experienced and and those sorts of things um, in order to communicate a message to people and the media, the media that had an opportunity to then transmit that message to the community chose instead to focus on this adversarial thing, which mm. was really only a fraction of the, the time. It was really disappointing. Well, here um, in podcasting, you can there's unlimited time. You can speak for yourself. <laughs> and although if this conversation does get reported, I suspect yeah. they'll... I'll just choose one tiny little thing that you might have said about oh, a certain problem. Whatever. Problems. And it and that's that's fine. That's mm. but people can yeah. listen to the whole thing. That's the great thing about it. Yeah. And but the thing is, I think that it's just unfortunate because the, often the critical thinkers are the ones who don't spend their time um on social media expressing their anger about things. It's the people who don't critically think who spend their time going that's a pretty good summary of the election campaign and particularly the debates i think grace so it's it's okay it's it's all right and i i understand that and also the opinions that matter to me ultimately at the end of the day are the opinions of my loved ones you know and and that's what you've got to remember that's how you keep yourself grounded and that's how you keep yourself, that's how you keep your head out of the clouds as well. You've got to not chase, you know, and also like you, approval ultimately has to come from the inside. You have to, mm, you have to yes. internally be okay. You have to accept yourself um, and not need external validation. You need to, you need to not be chasing that, like chasing likes and things like that or, or, you know, media headlines and whatnot. You need to, you need to be okay with, um, you know, the Murdoch press going, she's a savage. And also like, yay, if you think I'm a savage because, I, because of my comedy set, <laughs> that is a compliment, Daily Mail. Thank you. Good having you in comedy Thank now, Grace, you. too, by the way. What was that like, doing the Rational Fear thing? That was like rocket fuel to me. <laughs> I love that stuff. You know, yeah. like when I think about the things that I want to do and the yeah. things that bring me joy, like laughter is something that you know as someone who didn't have a lot of what as someone who had no stability let's be honest like I was born into a broken home um comedy is where I found a lot of security in terms of you know like I was a big fan of Robin Williams I was a big fan of Bill Bailey um Mm. and that sort of absurdist you know silliness 
you know, I found a lot of joy there. And as an autistic person too, it's the most um, uh, purest ways for me to express myself where I don't actually have to do a lot of hard work because I've got got a lot of delays in processing in conversation. When I'm in like a situation, especially if there's more than one person, like one-on-one conversations I can do because it's like, okay, all right, Mm. you know, I can focus my attention and go like, let's, I can do this. It's like, you know, chess. Um, (laughs) But if there's like multiple people, I'm like... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> you know like there's too many things too many moving parts going on whereas you know comedy I'm like okay it's a one-way street mm, I yeah. can do the talking you know and it's it's not it's not actually about attention seeking at all it's like I am having I am communicating with you guys and we are together and it's it's like the purest form of unity and it is really beautiful and like it's like I'm sharing and we are one and I, I don't know I just find it because also laughter is so it's so pure. You cannot help mm. but laugh. It's involuntary. Yeah, mm. a lot of the time. It's involuntary. And, like, mm. it's like even when you're really sad, if you laugh, like, you cannot help that happiness. Mm. Yes, yes. And laughing at powerful people is a great way to um, move well, their power. It's like you, you. Always, you always punch up. You never yeah. – like, my rule is you never punch down. Yeah, yeah. I'll only make jokes about my, my own experience. You know, like, regardless of what the outcome of the Depp Heard trial is – mockery of any aspect of it this is a trial that involves domestic violence and an allegation of graphic rape the mockery of any aspect of it is completely vile Mm. and i cannot believe it i just cannot believe it like i haven't been watching it seeing parts of it and i'm just like this is so beyond the pale i just can't believe it I've been sort of looking at social media on that stuff and do you think that it's actually johnny depp's got a whole team of social media people actually putting out all those memes. Like, it just seems I, so... Yeah, it does. That's been re- reported on. Yeah, because so it yeah. seems so... like That's been going on since 2019. Yeah, it's extraordinary to watch because it's so brutal and such a quick turnaround and it's, yeah, it's... um. It's a, Again, it's another case where people, a lot of people are, are not using their critical thinking Again, like just examples where Amber Heard's clearly just blowing her nose and that there's a people are saying that she was using cocaine on the stand. That's just like people use your critical thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think there's plenty of basis to laugh at Johnny Depp and there has been for many, many years. But no, you're right. That's just that sort of situation. There's just no comedy in it. Yeah, there's no comedy in that. It's it's a domestic violence trial. It shouldn't be televised. It shouldn't be the basis of entertainment. Yeah, look, it's a fair point. I, I hope you get to do more comedy, though, Grace, because you clearly relished that arena and it must have been such a nice change from um, oh, all the yeah. speeches you had to give and, as you said, having to go through the things, you know, make all these serious points, even talking to us. Um, <laughs> it, it must be exhausting. I really hope you can have a whole year of just – getting to not talk about this stuff, um, having to, to remember all that you went through. And let's hope that happens when we actually fix the laws and, and make some progress. There's a grander design to it and it's like the opposite of what, when, when I say that, it's like the opposite of what Scott's doing, you know, like trying to do it for the greater good in that hopefully this doesn't happen to more people. Yeah. You know, there are lots of people, there are lots of parts of my story that, again, are really shameful. Uh, they are embarrassing they're parts of my story that a lot of lot of people hear and then they use against me they say oh well that proves you're you know you're guilty or that you were you know you were asking for it or you know you are like you oh you love pedos and you're this and that and oh you look it just kept happening to you and you you know like oh this proves that you were you know there's something wrong with you because you just kept being abused and you just don't know how to set boundaries and blah, blah 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 and it's like well perhaps you know like I never was given the proper examples, you know, like there's just, just lots all of part of the things. abuse. It's all part of the abuse. And, but I also like, I'm really grateful. I'm a lucky person in lots of ways in that like the trajectory that I'm now on and the position that I'm now in um, is one that lots of survivors don't get to have. Mm. There's lots of things that can be true at once, you know, and that's something that, again, that a lot, a lot of people don't understand and a lot of media don't understand and, you know, I think also too, like the the man who abused me didn't know a lot about my life. Like he didn't know a lot about those sorts of things. You know, like and exactly what was going on going in going on in my home and like all the background to my life. You know, he just knew certain things and thought he had the whole picture and whatever. But 
again, I'm really grateful on the whole because it allows me to hopefully, along with a whole host of others and, you know, the giant shoulders that I'm standing on to hopefully work towards creating a future that's free from this this awful um, criminal behaviour. Yeah, well, I mean, you had to fight so hard in the first place just to be allowed to use your voice under Tassie Law. And God, it's nice to hear you use it on our podcast, Grace. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. But also remember, um, you know, as far as CSA survivors go, like, you know, I'm in, I'm in a pretty lucky category though. Like it's a pretty like diverse um, and intersectional community. You know, like you've got First Nations survivors, people of colour, people with visible disability. You've got refugees, migrants, um, you know, and the LGBTQIA plus community and, and other marginalised groups who face even harder, if not impossible, paths to justice. And we've got to, we've got to keep, like, broadening the platform and, 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 and remembering that these are underrepresented experiences as well. And part of the, the, the struggle is that... I, like I, I can't speak for all survivors um, and I, I'm an advocate of the community um, and recognise that I'm not always going to say the right thing um, and can't speak on behalf of those experiences and, you know, like I'm trying to do as best I can to sit with all of those people and, you know, make mm. space too. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really difficult because we've got a long way to go in breaking down those barriers too. You certainly yeah. do. Well, let's hope uh, whatever happens in the next few years, the, the change continues and that you and others with the same experience yeah. um, you know, continue to talk about it and educate us all. So last question, last question, what is, uh, what's your tip? Who's going to win the election? Oh, gosh. I can only hope. Um I can, uh, like your best case scenario. Best thing that happens is as many of the teal independents get elected as possible. <laughs> um, you know, and Greens, some of the Greens get elected too, and you know, and Albo is the prime minister. Thank you so yeah. much for your time, and, Grace. Well, basically, just, 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 just go no, no. <laughs> Hi, this is Kristen, and this is Jen from My Mom So Hard, and we're here to talk about by heart. Do you remember when you were nursing and you were like, I want to give the best thing I can to my baby? Well, we've got that for you. It's called ByHeart, and it is a infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code MOMS20 for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Tell them my mom so hard sent you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Rigging elections since before it was cool. The Chaser Report. Now, Charles, throughout this campaign, we've inflicted a terrible, terrible fate on uh, Chaser writer John Delmenico. We've made him watch Sky News around the clock. Yes, and John, you were complaining about it the other day and, and asking to sort of stop doing it. I mean, you yeah, know, obviously I wanted to stop. Yeah, yeah, but you wanted to stop a few days early because you said, oh, well, you know, maybe if I stop on the Wednesday, we can do the last Sky News wrap and I won't have to watch again. But I've got a, a really pleasing uh, piece of news for you, which is that... We're going to just keep you making you watch Sky News yeah. even after the election. Yeah, you've got to start prepping for 2025, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make sure we don't miss a thing. Oh, great. More Paul Murray and Andrew Bolt. That's what we all love. But look, the reason we got you to do it was just in case there was a little gem, a little nugget somewhere mm. hidden, I don't know, at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday yes. that would add something to our coverage. And the great news is you found something not only 
that no one else is watching, mm. but that mm. can potentially, you say, bring the nation together. Yeah, so there's been a few times watching Sky News that has made me think that there is hope that maybe the country can come together because there's similar ground. Like the Sky News hosts hate Liberal Party ads as well. They um, find the election incredibly boring. Uh, Chris Kenny has a DVD of Annabelle Crabbe on his bookshelf. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that's something I noticed. On his bookshelf where he has like photos of his kids, a photo of John Howard, John Howard's books. He also has a DVD of Annabelle Crabbe. Wow. Mm. That's, uh, I want to know more about that. Actually, I don't <laughs> want to know more about that. Yeah, Chris <laughs> Kenny, by the way, guys, he's insulted the ABC 61 times selection and he has an ABC DVD. Has he said anything negative about Annabelle Crabbe? No, he hasn't. Bit of a crush. (laughs) So if Chris Kenny can love the ABC, then I realise there has to be something that can bring us together, Mm. but more than just loving Annabelle Crabbe's content. Okay. But luckily I found something, and I found someone that everyone hates. That we and Sky News feel the same way about. Yeah, that the Chase's official stance on this person and Sky News' official stance of this person mm. is the exact same stance. Wow. I can't believe such a person exists. Because I'm thinking not even Adolf Hitler <laughs> <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, he gets a fair hearing on yeah. those. <laughs> so here's a clip of someone from Sky News introing this exact person. Uh, I'm sorry, Joe Sellebrand. Sorry, Joe Hildebrand. <laughs> Joe Hill. Okay, I can't sign off on the joke, but uh, make fun of Joe Hildebrand. That is a national pastime. Yes, that's a great idea. Yeah. What, so what was the joke? Does anyone understand Sell I the Brand? I think they're just calling him a sellout is what they're doing. Sell right. the brand, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's Rowan Dean, so of course it was convoluted and didn't make sense, but mm. I, I, his heart was in the right place, which yeah. is making fun of Joe Hildebrand yeah, and not yeah. respecting him. Yeah, we, we can all get on board with that. Yeah. Right? We Who can, would have thought I'd agree with Rowan Dean? We can reach across the aisle. Yeah, so that was Rowan yeah. Dean, and one, and one of the people laughing, the guy that really, really laughed, is the political editor for the Daily Telegraph, meaning it is literally the guy that is Joe Hildebrand's direct boss <laughs> and approves his articles, and even he hates him. That's not the only like insult they've had of him. So that's how they talk about him behind his back. Mm. But this is how they talk about him when he goes on other shows, which is the biggest insult a Sky News person can give someone. Labor spokesperson Joe Hildebrand. Uh, oh. Paul Murray, who during the campaign, and I, I really appreciate his honesty. Just coming mm. out and said, "Look, just vote liberal. Yeah. Just do it. Just vote liberal." Did you hear that rant? Oh, I didn't hear it, say that one. That, yeah, it's um, doing his audience warm up during the pub test. I've I've just assumed. I, I didn't realize Paul Murray supported the Liberal Party. I thought he was an actor. I thought he was. It was all a performance, and that he because he doesn't need to just live in inner city Sydney in Annandale and. Sip lattes like the rest of us. That's and the whole media, Charles. <laughs> yeah, that's Chris Kenny as well. <laughs> oh right, everyone sips latte. Like <laughs> the fact that they go on about latte sippers in the Australian, which is yeah. literally located in Surrey Hills <laughs> in Sydney, which is the yeah. latte belt of Sydney. Yeah. They're massive hypocrites, oh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. But when it comes to hypocrites as well, that leads into nicely how they talk about him directly to his face on his show when they're appearing on his show. The left have been pretending to be working class for the longest time. You know, that's the first thing they do when they get to university is lose the private school tie and pretend they come from the people. Did you know Joe in the early days? <laughs> was, that, was that Parnell McGuinness? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. she's um, a regular on his show, which is the worst show on TV. Didn't we know Parnell yeah. McGuinness at, uni- at university? At yeah. <laughs> Let's just leave that one out there. Um yeah, so their show has all the elements of a terrible show. First of all, it's Sky News and it's hosted by Joe Hildebrand, which is bad enough, but then it's an Australian comedy panel show starring, instead of comedians, a Liberal Party <laughs> spinster, a Labor Party spinster, and a Sky News contributor. Do you mean spinster in the sense of they spin or that they've just never married? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that they, they do political spin. <laughs> <laughs> Although they're unlikely to get married <laughs> as well. It's interesting to have a game show without any comedians cast. But yeah, and it's great. So that means also Joe Hildebrand is the person who's the supposed comedian. to. Like, yes. He's, he brings the funny. Okay. Well, but you mean not, Joe Selderbrand. Watch out. <laughs> but if, anyone, if any of our listeners aren't sure why we're being so immediate to jump on his hatred, here's some of the things he said on, the pod, on his show. Lazy, woke millennials refusing to work. I think we need to get a sensible perspective on this, so we'll go to the straight white man on the panel. A competition between Lydia Thorpe and Kanye West. It's not a race oh, thing. Yeah. It's just that <laughs> Kanye was the only person I thought who was as crazy 
as Lydia Thorpe <laughs> to be able to say something that might be confused with her. Yes, that's what the entire show is like. I remember Joe when he used to be like a guy who made interesting TV shows for the ABC. Really? Yeah. Did he make yeah, some good shows? Yeah, that was back. That was a while ago. Wow. He made like documentaries. They're quite good. And so, do you reckon, just from a craft perspective, is that are they pre-written quips or? Yeah, like a lot of he, his stuff is pre, a lot of his stuff is pre-written. So somebody's actually intention. Like it's not just coming out of his brain. Ch- Charles, no, look, I yeah. want to tell you what the craft is. The craft is to write it in advance, but make it sound as though you haven't put any thought into it. Ah, right, uh, that is. Yeah, well, that is a weird thing with this show. Is like it's very clear that the labor spinster finds out on the spot, and yeah. he is the best at making his answers funny. Mm. Because he will take a few seconds to think, and you can see him thinking on the spot. But the other contestants are all like clearly are told what the questions are beforehand, because they will like as soon as Joe Hildebrand stops talking, begin their full answer that takes exactly thirty seconds. I mean, to be fair, every panel show tells its guests yeah. the questions <laughs> in advance. Like they don't yeah. even they don't even hide the fact that they're getting told. Like they all just as soon as Joe Hildebrand stops talking, begin a monologue of exactly the right amount of time that you're given to answer. But um. It is a comedy show and Joe's the host. So that clip before where they roasted into his face, obviously if you're the host, you would have good banter that would help lift the mood in the room and keep things going. So here's how he responded. Face it, the left have been pretending to be working class for the longest time. You know, that's the first thing they do when they get to university is lose the private school tie and pretend they come from the people. Did you know Joe in the early days? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Come I wasn't working class, I was welfare class. There's a difference. Um, I lo- yeah, so you know you're a good comedian host when you telling a punchline stops everyone from laughing. <laughs> That is how his entire show goes. I don't think that's fair, John. I think he just said welfare and everyone on the, on, from Scotty just went, <laughs> well, After watching the first episode of his show, I was like, he flops a few times. I wonder how many times. And then there was a point where I had lost count by the second episode. I'd say his hit rate amongst even the Sky News audience is like 20% getting some sort of reaction or acknowledgement that he's done a joke. So just for listeners who, who now want to tune into this game, what is it called? It's called The Blame Game. Mm. And so here's some of the amazing comedic styles of Joe Hildebrand. Few our fathers and they should just purge those nasty thoughts about whatever those terrible men were doing with the remote control. All women, let's not be sexist, in their hotel rooms late at night. When he he did the pistol and boo, I kept waiting for him and Amber Heard to hold up a copy of today's newspaper to prove that they were still alive. (laughs) Um, no. Although I still don't know what work means when you're an influencer, you've got a camera following you around all day. Joe? Oh my God, that criticism is like so 2012. <laughs> Makes me feel like pretty much arguing about transparency was what Catherine Deves was all about. <laughs> hey! No. Um, <laughs> that was awful. No, because this is the kicker. Edit that out. It was a pun. I think I heard a pun in there <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Oh, man. This is... Well, I think we need an intervention with Joe. Like... I think he needs a laugh track is what he needs. <laughs> he, watching the election, you might think everything is awful and everything sucks and every, there's mm. no way to bring the nation together. Mm. But clearly Joe Hildebrand's the yes. key to bring this nation together. Yes. And it, it's actually really made me feel great about my career because no matter what happens, mm. I'll never have to be the guy who brings the funny to Sky News. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, it's not even just pushing shit up here. It's pushing shit up here with your mouth. <laughs> As always, our uh, Gary's from Road Microphones. We're part of the Acast Creator Network.